Welcome to High on the Hog with Merrill Schindler and co-hosts Joanna Belson and Janice Hardoon. This is a podcast about all things cannabis. Tune in every week as Merrill, Joanna, and Janice discuss the medical benefits of CBD and THC products with each other, as well as with informed guests from the cannabis industry and the lawmakers who regulate it. Enjoy the show. This is Merrill Schindler here with High on the Hog, the podcast, the show that educates about CBD, THC, the wonderful world of cannabis and cannabinoid products and cannabinoids and all the things I can barely pronounce. And that's why we've got Rachel Burkhans and I could say your brother, can I? Yes, absolutely. brother, Holden Jagger. Rachel, I have known for so long dealing with the pleasures of the palates. In fact, what is your... um, Instagram site called? Uh, my Instagram is Smoke Sip Saver. Yeah, I, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, I do yeah. all of those things a lot and well. You chew occasionally. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I enjoy all of those uh, combination of things, actually. And speaking of chewing, you have your brother who's Holden Jagger, who's a chef and a chef of much note. You've been at Kraft and Maud and Soho House. You've been around. I have. I've worked um, all over the state. I. Uh, I was a Zagat 30 Under 30 Award winner in 2013. Um, I was doing a lot of bread at a restaurant I was working at, and uh, that got me a little bit of attention, gave me an opportunity to open a mod in Beverly Hills with Curtis Stone when we were doing, you know, the seasonal menu. You'd do a tasting menu for 50 guests a night. You'd spend 16 hours of every day doing that. You would not want to quit your all-day job. That's what we uh, we said back then. And um, and I got the opportunity to go to Soho House, which led me to uh, an interest in cannabis events. And when I did leave there in 2016, Rachel and I started our company, uh, Altered Plates, which has been focused on incorporating cannabis into the hospitality space, not just, you know, your idea of pot food of having a, you know, a brownie or putting it into spaghetti sauce or whatever, you know, archaic sort of way we used to incorporate cannabis into cuisine, uh, bringing it into something that is, you know, rounder and more classically uh, hospitality experience. I mean, as we've, we've talked about, as uh, Joanna, my cannabis Soccer mom. <laughs> That's a really good title. Yeah. I like that. Activist. Okay. I like soccer mom. Uh, it makes you sound so normal, which you're so not. Uh, <laughs> I do drive a minivan. <laughs> if the shoe fits. <laughs> but what we all go back to is a, a love of taste, a love of flavor. I mean, I know Rachel from a variety of um, wine and spirits magazines, particularly Tasting Paddle. And that was all about the pleasures of. And it wasn't about just going out and getting wasted. Right. It was about like sampling, tasting, getting to know, you know, which is which is the Viognier, which one is the what which what what is the Chardonnay? What's going on with it? Well and you know, taking that perspective that is so fully ingrained in the classic mainstream hospitality space and translating that into the cannabis space is really a completely new thing. It's a brand new field and it's a really exciting thing to be a part about to talk about what makes a specific cannabis variety give its 
flavor and effect and compare that to wines and to spirits and to the ultimate guest experience because do you find that that wine and food people have a particular affinity for cannabis products i think because i think of we're flavor, all hedonists experience yes i mean i i i am a pleasure seeker of the palate i like things that taste good i like things that make me feel good and that certainly extends to to cannabis and um as you were mentioning yes we know each other from a couple of magazines the tasting panel the psalm journal and then in 2015 um the publishing company that i have been the uh, longtime associate publisher for launched the Clever Root, which was to bring all of those things, including cannabis, under one umbrella. And when we started talking to winemakers, when we started talking to sommeliers, when we started talking to chefs and farmers about how, well, we're launching this magazine, they'd be like, I have a secret for you. <laughs> I've been making this tincture in my bathtub for a decade and I love cannabis. So it was really interesting to see the mainstream hospitality industry and people who I had worked with in so many different non-cannabis facing ways for a decade come out of the cannabis closet, so to speak. And our, our overall cultural acceptance of that is changing and giving people a lot more license to say, yeah, I like to have a good time. One of the most interesting people I've ever known was a, uh, you probably know him as a writer for the LA Times food section named um, Charlie Perry. I don't know if you remember the name. Charlie write about deep, deeply, deeply ethnic restaurants, particularly Middle Eastern ones. And he was a real, he could, he could translate 11th century Arabic cookbooks. He was, he was a scholar. And I knew him first in San Francisco when we were both at Rolling Stone where his name was Smokestack El Ropo. I think you can understand why. His roommate was Owsley Stanley. His roommate was Owsley Stanley, the man who supplied all the bands with the best LSD ever. The man was truly into the pleasures. And he moved from there into being totally into the pleasures, of course, of the palate, his love of food. His dinners were like no one else's dinners. I still remember a meatballs of many nations dinner. I am going to steal that item. (laughs) But his other great passion, of course, was wine. Of course. Of course. The man had the best, the best seller imaginable. And and I think outside of just the the palate expression of wine or cannabis, um, these are both things that are coming of the earth. You know, the, the comparisons between wine and cannabis are ample. You can go in a million different directions and talk about terroir. You can talk about cultivation techniques. You can talk about even extractions and curing. You know, when you're going through that curing process with the flower, does that relate to what's happening in the barrel with with a wine? You know, and, and drawing those parallels and starting to kind of peel back the layers on that is really interesting. Chef, Chef Holden, in the kitchen, is has 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 cannabis long been something that helps people get through those long long days? No, never. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, I just I kid, obviously. Uh, yes, I would say you know, I mean, there's there's certain inebriants that that lend themselves very well to back of the house experiences. Right, cannabis is certainly one of those. Um, you know, I. I I would say when I was a young line cook, uh, the the question at the end of the, every night was to to have a beer or to a joint first. Right. Um, and uh, usually at the same time was was how I would. Uh, well, you were wired. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, after it, a night of cooking, it is that it is that need to unwind. One hundred twenty plates, yeah. maybe well, two hundred. If you're working in a high volume restaurant, you're definitely um, not tired when your shift ends. 
You know, it is it is a rare experience for a cook to be riding transit home, driving themselves home, walking themselves home, and not using that time to sort of decompress. When when I was a young cook and I lived in San Francisco, that time was spent at a bar, and a lot of those bars, um, for for lack of a better phrase, they let us smoke pot in them. And they did it because they knew that we would probably make it through our night a little bit better than uh, if it was just the beer. Well, now they're going to lose their liquor license, but <laughs> I, I'm things, not, I'm things not are naming different. any names. <laughs> things are different in 2019. <laughs> it's San Francisco. It is San Francisco. Well, San Francisco is a lot different now. What, San, San Francisco is San Francisco. It is. It will yeah, always no be question. that city. No question. But, um, okay, I, I want to get back to, for a second, to, to the clever route. Because you wrote a column there where you would taste, Rachel, you would taste a variety of products and you would come out. The ones you, that you wrote about were ones you were recommending, right? They weren't ones that you said, you, did, you weren't particularly negative. Yeah, for the most part, I think, um, especially in a developing marketplace where there are so many different and unique products that have different you know, ways for people to consume them and different flavor profiles and a different intended user, um, and overall, people are still learning about this. So I really felt that it was important to get a good breadth of options to explore. So vape pens, topicals, tinctures, of course, classic flower, my favorite, um, and of course, all the wonderful edibles products out there. Now, back in the day, those of us who were around when dinosaurs roamed the earth, <laughs> all we knew of for an edible was the old hash brownie from, from Alice B. Toklas. Which had no, there was, you know, who knew what and quality and what sure, was course. in it. I do remember having at least one, and they found me the next day in a tree painted blue. <laughs> you know, it, it can definitely, right. <laughs> it, it can get to you. Uh, but how do you, ta- you know, I've always wondered how wine people taste as much as they taste, and a lot of it is spitting. You can't spit. Right. Um, a bunch of mints. Correct. I mean, in, in terms of edibles, um, obviously not only do they take up to two to sometimes four hours to take effect, depending on each person's individual endocannabinoid system, but it can last a really, really long time. So um, I would personally not recommend um, trying a whole bunch of different edibles at once and being like, this will be fun. Let's see how this goes. And I would not do that. But, um, you know, uh, when it comes to strict vape or flower pairings and tastings. Um, That is something that I personally can do back to back to back without necessarily um, becoming incapacitated. But you do lose the ability to determine, okay, well, this product is making me feel this way. This product is making me feel this way. Um, That's something that Holden and I have actually talked a lot about because we're really passionate about trying to standardize a sort of tasting formula for how people can taste and evaluate and score cannabis like you would see in wine reviews or in spirits reviews in all of these publications. And we've kind of toyed with the idea of what one of those live tasting events would look like. And no, you cannot spit the smoke out. It, it, once it's in, you bought the ticket, you're taking the ride, you're on the train. <laughs> Feel free to invite yeah, me. Well, I can tolerate the edible part. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it definitely it presents a unique set of challenges. Um, 
But ultimately, I think that if anybody is looking to try to determine what product is best for them, um, trial and error is is a good way to start. But also speak to your butt tenders, speak to the professionals at the Koreatown Collective and talk to them and ask them the questions about the products and, and get a little bit of feedback before you buy that ticket and get on the train. The problem here is, I mean, they're not giving you a a little taste of the wine before you order the bottle. Right. You know, it's like you have that to commit. You can blame your local government for. <laughs> because in San Francisco, there's on-site consumption. So you can oh. blame your city officials for in Los Angeles. <laughs> I blame them for many things. Hopefully that will change. We're working on one. So we'll see too. I'm not sure. <laughs> Stay tuned. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Check it out. Chroma Lounge. Do you, do you have, you know, for, for your own self, and holding for your own self, a, a favorite product. You know, are are you? I mean, I'm quite fond of the mints and the chocolates. Sure, I, I, I love mean, them. I I will um, I will say that out of all of these various products, you got to look at the categories because an edible is different inherently and going to give you a totally different effect um, than flour or a vape or you know a concentrate. There's so many different ways you can experience cannabis. So while I may have some favorites in terms of edibles and there will be some pre-roll brands and things like that that I do really enjoy. Um, I, I would say that in general, my favorite category is always going to be flour. And um, I may be biased, but um, it happens that my brother over here is a fantastic cultivator and um, grows some beautiful sun-grown organic cannabis. And we, we only smoke the family grass. <laughs> we only smoke the family grass. I would not say that is true for me personally at all. Um, and definitely not for you. We we partner with a lot of different brands, but um, I I believe that cannabis is a plant and it is of the earth and it deserves to be grown in the sun and that it's going to be happiest and best presented when it comes from that environment. And um, Holden can definitely speak to that a lot more um, knowledgeably than I can, but we've got a, we've got a disagreement. We have some in, indoor, indoor lovers cul- over indoor here. Indoor cultivation <laughs> uh, to me as a chef is probably, well, first you have to look at the reasons why it's indoor. It's indoor because of its illegality and its uh, criminalization. So that process alone has taken a plant which evolved outside. Uh, all the cannabinoids that are prevalent that we celebrate in the plant uh, evolved outside with uh, through selection um, naturally and uh, with interference uh, through man and all that um, cannabis being you know forced indoors and and the selection that has occurred thereafter has made cannabis all in all less interesting as a plant uh, it's less um, it's less productive of, of rare cannabinoids or uh, less variant cannabinoids because of this focus on producing cannabis that is higher and higher in percentages of THC and all of this um, is is sort of spurred by the um, you know commercial need to produce a product at the highest value that has the most bang for its buck, and that selection has been driven by a selection of producing THC high varieties. And now, um, with the popularity of CBD, you um, are starting to see varieties of cannabis that are higher in um, cannabidiol or any other. Um, rare cannabinoid or un, uncelebrated, unstudied, untested cannabinoid. Um, and that variation uh, driven through indoor cultivation, I think has been a detriment to where we are with the plant today because now we're taking large steps to go and bring CBD into a place of prevalence as a medicine. Um, as a chef, I can probably speak to the fact that removing 
hemp seed, non-sterilized hemp seed from chicken feed, uh, sometime in the eight, uh, the the late nineteen, excuse me, the excuse me, sorry, uh, in in like it was like nineteen thirty or something like that. Uh, they stopped using THC or CBD high hemp seed as chicken feed. Uh, one hemp plant can produce several thousand hemp seeds, and it's a very efficient way to feed chickens. So all the chicken yolks that that we used to eat in this country, uh, either you know raised in 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 home lots uh hemp seed was a part of that chicken feed cbd made its way into yolks and whether or not you know we want to admit it hemp used to be a a, a pillar of agriculture and that pillar of agriculture we're starting to to you know rediscover and, and recelebrate with with industrial forms and um as it as it pertains to how it is used as a medicine um but if if there are things that this plant chemical is producing this this you know full spectrum plant uh and and there are problems that it's solving uh i say we have to probably start with what's on the plate yeah and this also explains why i enjoy eggs so very much <laughs> you know i've, I've always those were eggs I, in I, the 1930s uh, well, yeah. I, I think you're dating yourself but you can thank the paper the paper industry and the hearst family and politics just like you did alcohol and now you're seeing history repeat itself and how much we learn from history. Yeah, I mean And why it's so important our kids stay in school. Craft craft beer is 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 you know, is a reaction to this mass commercialization of a product that used to be made much more boutiquely. And uh, with cannabis you're able to, you know, the conversations of having a calf, a craft product that is lacking in variation due to environmental concerns or environment impacts, the water's different in every It's going to be different how you're going to consume that product. Obviously, I'm not going to use an indoor flower for doing all of my culinary uh, type of things. You're going to take the, the outdoor flowers that you're going to grow, and you're going to process those and manufacture those in a different way than you're going to use the indoor flower. One, because the cost of doing the two I, things yeah, is Yeah, I mean, thing. keeping indoor but in a yes, boutique space right. um, is something that I think will become cost-preventative long-term because I think you'll still be able to, you'll be able to layer the conversation of a product that has just as much human interaction and natural interaction to create something that only exists for one year, just like we celebrate great bottles of wine. We're not celebrating a great bottle of wine because it's just the same as the bottle of wine before. It's very hard. Y'all were talking earlier about pairings of cannabis and things, and it's the same thing because you can only change one thing from harvest to harvest. You get to change one item that you're doing or one part of your formula that you're putting in there because otherwise you don't know which was the ingredient that changed your reaction to what your final product was so what people forget is cannabis and cultivation is a very specific um, thing to do there's a lot of risk involved in it because one thing can go wrong such as your neighboring farm could be putting pesticides on their rose garden and a gust of wind come and completely ruin your whole harvest outside so where sometimes you might be anti the indoor you do get to control your environment as well. Now, there's a term here, it's a very simple term, but it's been tossed around and folks may not know exactly what, what you mean, which is to say flour. You keep, well, you said before your favorite is flour. By flour, you mean stuff you smoke, am I, am the I correct? The actual bud, the yeah. dried bud, a good old nugget. <laughs> yeah, but we're talking, we're talking about you know smoking, okay? Correct. And, and it's funny, it's like, I have a sense that there are folks for whom smoky is well, we don't smoke. You know, it's a bad for you, it's a bad for lungs. 
but eating the chocolate, eating the cookie, eating the um, using the tincture, that's all okay because it's not you're not smoking. It's manufactured. You're taking your flour, right, or your bud, and now you've manufactured it through an extraction process, most likely depending on what kind of, the same as you would do a great wine, and you're going to put it in a barrel, and then it's going to, what's the proper term? It's going to age. Age. (laughs) When your pot gets too old, it starts to degrade, and now you don't have as much THC in that flower as you did before. So manufacturing it makes it a lot easier to preserve the goodness of. So it'll stay in that that, that mint for a long time. Also, if you're... Um, harvest isn't that great and you can manufacture something out of it instead of keeping the pure flour look i mean as long as you make a good chocolate bar at least you're having a chocolate bar absolutely very expensive chocolate bar but you're having one there's so many different really high-end edibles products that are coming out there and i do think that for some people who do have that anti-smoking stigma um it is more palatable and it is more friendly to maybe the the actual soccer moms not our stoner soccer mom (laughs) over here but um you know i think that there are a lot of people women in particular and maybe um, people over 55 we're seeing a lot of growth in those categories of people who who want to make cannabis a part of their wellness routine and smoking is not necessarily always compatible with wellness for people it goes back to cbd which is a lifestyle that's something you do every day thc you can pick and choose or maybe you're going to use it at night for whatever your anxiety your muscle pains or to make your cbd work better but CBD just by itself becomes a lifestyle. It's like you gonna brush your teeth every morning, you're gonna take your CBD, and you're gonna take it throughout the day so you don't need large amounts at one time because your body will just pass through that like vitamin D passes through your body. You know, but it's it, too much. It's, it's, a, it's the case of, if I suggested my daughter for her anxiety that she, um, she smoke a joint, well, she, well, she would have like probably not. But she eats a uh, a gummy with CBD, and it, it works. It works miracles. So it's really it's much more acceptable. It's, it's a gummy. It's shaped like a little bear. It's like it's, it's like funny cute. because having two stores, one that's a THC store, and one that's a CBD store, people have an aversion to walking into this THC store and showing your driver's license and proof of age. But the people that walk through the CBD store literally are open arms and like so comfortable and start asking so many questions. Some of those folks do end up at the THC store once they've gotten their education in the CBD store. But CBD and the way the buzzword has gone around and people having so many questions, it's made a magnet to them coming to sources where you can see and have a lot of choices of CBD products. Back to the smoking, there's a generation that doesn't smoke at all. Like your daughter, I grew up with people smoking around me, so it's more, not acceptable, but I'm more apt to try it versus Sarah, your daughter. But your daughter is in an age group where they grew up with vape pens. All these kids now, and and I wish that parents would not let their kids, especially their young boys, but 13 to 18 vape pens, use these vape pens because we don't know the actual reactions to it we don't know if it's going to change the way your sex organs develop or your brain finishes developing there's so much uncertainty there 
and I don't think we can just turn them loose with a vape pen. We don't even know the cart that the vape is actually in. We don't even know if five, 10, 10 years from now, the ceramic coil is better than the string. Everyone has their, what they want to say, but you have no clue until we finally get history behind us and we can study what's going on. Yeah, and it is, it's nervous making because there, is, there are reactions here that can be not good, not healthy at all. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that old, but I remember the old. Com- I'm very old. <laughs> I remember the, the old commercials, seeing the old commercials with doctors, guys in white jackets, talking about how healthy a cigarette is after after a meal. It's good for you. It relaxes you after a hard day. You know, I, I told my patients they should You're have a much cigarette. much older than I am because I don't remember one of those commercials. Yeah, you can find them online. You know, actual doctors or people pretending to be doctors saying you should smoke you should smoke a cigarette after a meal it's good for you cigarettes are healthy they ain't they ain't though because everything does come full circle i'm always reminded of of woody allen's sleeper movie where he wakes up to discover that um that smoking and and eating steaks are really good for you which is like um at least half true now (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure there's a study you can find to um, back up anything. You know, the the paleo diet, the keto diet, all of these things are going to have some some study that's going to support those findings. But, um, you know, truly, at the end of the day, you're going if you're lighting up a joint, you're combusting paper you're combusting actual raw plant material and you're inhaling butane. So no, it's probably not the most um, healthy thing you can subject your lungs to, but it definitely does not have the additives and all of the chemicals and carcinogens that you'll find in cigarettes. And you know, the, the current state of cannabis products that require really thorough seed to sale tracking and testing are really working to kind of also close that loop and make sure that what people are smoking is not harmful, doesn't have mold, doesn't have pesticides, doesn't have all of these things that nobody wants to put in their body. I agree. And she, you, you covered every part of it so well because I feel like I am the police of track and trace. The retailer, literally, I found out, is saddled with being the police. And if a product comes in and a manifest doesn't match an invoice with a batch number going back to a lab with a certain particular product, I get to call waste removal after I've paid for it. So it's these retailers and people need to understand when you go to a licensed cannabis shop, there's a lot of responsibility there and it was all saddled on the last person that's gonna hand it to the public. It's I so know, that's comp- what I said, I quit. <laughs> it's, it's um, you know, folks at least who live in places where they are recreational or, or at least at least medical you go into the store and it's all kind of kind of, kind of slick and kind of fun and you never think that there's any complexity there there's no notion of it i will tell you that the problem and the huge problem that we have to overcome in a hurdle is we have politicians and bureaucrats and people pretending to be part of the bureau of cannabis control coming to try to tell us and regulate this industry and they have no clue of what's going on as opposed and the best metaphor i could give you is lapd has been to my store like three times in the past month for various and sundry reasons they grew up in this culture with what where we're trying to convert from and going to they have so much better understanding of what it is 
what the products are than anyone that's sitting up in Sacramento or sitting out in Rancho Cucamonga trying to tell us you you have this wrong flower and they don't understand that I want to see what my flower is before it's going into a jar with my name on it and we're having a big problem about that and part of that is really going back to the bureaucrats that just they took these jobs at the Cannabis Control Bureau because oh they thought it was being great and they really have no clue and they don't even want to open their ears to learn about the industry. And it is a confusion, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, of uh, there's an ice cream store that we know of where for $2 extra, they'll put CBD in your in your ice cream. Well, what are they putting in your ice cream? Is it maybe a little canola oil? What, what, we don't know what it, we don't know what it is. This is my current favorite thing about Los Angeles. You can walk into like literally any coffee shop and they're like, oh, for $5, <laughs> you can add CBD. And it doesn't... Please don't tell the health department. <laughs> right, I know. FDA. Of course, yes. I mean, there's so much confusion on whether or not any of that is legal. The answer really is nope. no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not that it's legal, but also worth anything. Right, well, they don't tell you um, the dosage that you're going to get for that $5. They don't tell you what the product is. They don't tell you anything about... Yeah, you you know literally nothing. But it has really become that buzzy thing that is a trend and that people want to Instagram their CBD latte and say, oh my god, I got this really cool latte at Alfred's and it's so good. It's the same thing with Botox. Everyone's getting it and they really don't know what they're putting in their face. Just poison. I've never had Botox, so I just want you to know I have Elevate skincare. Hello. I've been using my Elevate skincare too. I've gotten so many compliments. (laughs) Didn't I just go past a a health and beauty store where it's do-it-yourself Botox or do-it-yourself some sort of product? They they had like like a picture of people. Girl, stop the car and get out of here. You need to go back home. It was so weird. It was like this lady standing there with a syringe, you know, and you could do it at home. It was like, oh no. Yeah, that's that's a no for me. That's a no No. for me. But CBD, yeah. It's also, it's an injectable. Right. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Let's get back on subject. We have a lot to cover. We have a lot to cover, <laughs> and we will in the next episode of High in the Hog, the podcast. It's Meryl Schindler. It's Janice Hardoon. It's Joanna Belson. It's our wonderful guests, um, Holden Jagger and Rachel Burkhans. We'll be back in just, well, whenever you listen to the next, the next one. And we're finally going to talk about food and, 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 and CBD and THC and... How the heck? And Altered Plates, a wonderful name. Schindler, it's high in the hog.